to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you all doing today? This is, um, this is our last week in uh, Resilient Joy, the study on Philippians. And, um, oh, good, the, 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 the hole's been repaired. They no longer need that. <laughs> so uh, our final reading, this is Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your accounts. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that you have sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, we just uh, devote this time to the study of your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to the word that you have for us, that we might be challenged and changed, that we might grow, that we might take a step in our discipleship and be just a little bit more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So this, uh, at the end of the book of Philippians, which we've uh, been studying together, we find the close, there's a thank you note. There's a, I, I think that the way I view this kind of closing section, it's, it's primarily a thank you note with one significant philosophical tangent. And uh, that, that kind, of, kind of steps aside. And we're gonna, we're gonna ride that tangent and we're gonna go through the thank you note and we're gonna study that together and try to understand so uh, what has happened, uh, as we've mentioned in previous weeks, is that uh, Paul's been doing ministry. He, 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 Philippi was the very first place in Europe that he came to on his missionary journey when he first uh, crossed into Europe. The very first Christians in Europe were in this uh, church, uh, Lydia, a woman being the first one that he met by the river. And uh, he was put in jail in that uh, place and was singing in prison. 
and there was a miracle, and, and, and he didn't run away, and the jailer and his family became Christians, and that kind of became a, a foundation. So they came to know him as he was singing in jail. Now, a lot of time has passed, and he's now, we think, writing from a prison in Rome, once again, in prison for preaching the gospel, for seeking to to let people know the love and the grace available in Jesus Christ. And he's in prison once again, and yet he's rejoicing. And he's riding to this church that he's been friends with for a long time. And they, we're going to learn, have been, uh, have been with him uh, in the ministry. And they've sent him, along with a man named Epaphroditus, a gift to help supply his ministry and to supply him uh, for his own provision while he's in jail. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. In the King James, it says, uh, your concern for me has, has flourished once again. It's, it's, it's come to bloom once again. There's been some kind of communication cutoff, right? He, he's been arrested, you know, he's been, you know, in prison, he... Um, has not had as, uh, the ease of, of communications with them. So he hasn't heard from them for a while. There's no, there's no email back then. There's no Zoom, no text messaging. Uh, someone had to hand carry this letter to them, to him, for him to hear from them. And so some time has gone by in which maybe he starts to think that he's been forgotten. He's like, maybe they've moved on. Maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they're upset with me in some way. I just, I just, I don't know. I just haven't heard. And, you know, in the absence of communication, we often kind of fill in the blanks. And, and yet and then someone arrives and, and, they, and they bring help and resources and, and, and a letter and he's just so encouraged and he tells them that, uh, that this gift has signaled love. I'm gonna show you four things that in Paul's thank you note that he identifies as, as their gift doing. What does it accomplish? This first one is a, it's a, it's a giving shows love, right? He's beginning to wonder, I don't, I don't know, are they, still, are they still with me? You can imagine being in a prison cell, you might wonder if people are still with you. I think we experience this in our lives, like the little thoughtful gifts that someone might, might give, particularly if someone's in crisis, it's just a way of, of showing that, thing, that, that, that people care. This was hand carried by a man named Epaphroditus who carried the correspondence but then stayed himself. He's like part of the gift. He's like, hey, I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna help you out in your ministry because uh, you're, you're kind of stuck in this place. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help carry messages from you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure you're, you're, you're fed and cared for in prison because that's kind of how it worked back then. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be a reinforcement for you. So there's financial help and there's reinforcements. It's like, thank you. Right? This, this shows me that you care. This signals love. But in his rejoicing, he takes a moment where it's, you can think of it as like a philosophical a tangent or more like a philosophical aside, like a note and a little addendum. Here's something you need to know. Because he seems to realize that in thanking them for his, their gift, he might be sending the wrong signal. He's like, thank you, I'm overjoyed that you sent the gift. He might be inadvertently sending the message that he's happy because of the stuff they sent, right? As in, he didn't have much good food in prison. Now he has some better food, there he's happy. As in, he doesn't have finances, uh, he doesn't have that, and now he does. He, he, he was just eating nothing but, but, but rice, and now he's got homemade brownies, right? Right? 
And you could see how that would make you happier, right? But he's like, hey, I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not just, I'm not happy because of stuff. I, 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 part of my joy is you, you signaled love to me, but let me, let me just clarify something about happiness through stuff. And in doing so, he counters two dominant Greek philosophies uh, of the time. Uh, the first one is hedonism, less a philosophy than just a, a way of life. Hedonism is the pursuit of happiness through chasing of pleasures and possessions, what we might call materialism today. And he doesn't want to accidentally send a message about, uh, in favor of materialism. I don't want you to think I'm happy because of the stuff. Happiness because of stuff is hedonism. That's not it. There's deeper things in play in my joy than simply better food in prison. And the next part counters the other dominant philosophical uh, school uh, in that environment, which is Stoicism. It, it borrows language from Stoicism, but then gives a different solution. We see this in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This is the secret that Stoicism was after. It also seems to be the secret that we have been chasing this whole summer in this series. Like, what is this kind of resilient joy or this, this kind of satisfied contentment uh, no matter what the circumstances? And he says, I've learned that secret. No matter if I have, I have food or I don't have food, I can still be content. And he's using that language of the Stoics. They were the enemies or the adversaries of the hedonists. They were trying to correct the hedonists. They, they, the Stoics said to the hedonists, you're never going to be happy chasing stuff and chasing pleasure. It's just going to break your heart in the end. So the hedonists were the party crowd. They were saying, more booze, more sex, more gold. And the Stoics said, it's never going to satisfy. The Stoic solution was to purge yourself of all desire and emotion. That's why the Greek tragedies were written in such a way to make you so sad that you'd become desensitized to sadness. You'd no longer be capable of feeling sad if you can just purge your heart of that. They had Stoic training classes. And you'd go to the class and they'd say, okay, here's your first lesson. I want you to go home and you want to find like your favorite coffee mug. Okay, Gra grab your favorite coffee mug. And, and uh, everyone, you know what your favorite coffee mug is? Okay, if you want to be a Stoic, here's what you do. Uh, Today, you're going to go home, and you're going to look at that favorite mug, and you're going to drop it and let it shatter on the ground. And then you're going to look at the shattered pieces, and you're going to say, I don't care. And you're going to try to mean that and not care about it, okay? And then, uh, and then you're going to work your way up. All right, you come back, you're like, okay, I did it, you know? All right, so now you're going to find a more valuable, find your favorite photograph that's framed on the wall. You're going to take it and drop it. Let it shatter. I don't care, okay? And the Stoics, man, it got dark. They worked their way up and they say, I'm not kidding you, this part's dark. I want you to find your family's favorite pet or your favorite livestock animal, okay? Your cow named Fred, 
you're going to kill it, and you stand over its dead body and say, I don't care. This is the stoic way. What they're trying to do is they're trying to care less, right? They're trying to not be bothered by, you know, I'm not attached to possessions and to things, and I'm not craving happiness through that. I am emotionally invincible. That's the way they're protecting themselves. Now, I'm not into the whole uh, pet animal part of this, you know, but I got to tell you, the idea of being uh, emotionally invincible is a somewhat appealing, you know. I, uh, I, can, I can somewhat resonate with this idea of, you know, just, you know, choosing not to care. I, uh, I think I was uh, particularly um, stoic. Uh, I learned on a, uh, uh, Joy and I, when we moved to Florida about maybe four years ago, uh, we were looking for a house. It was the first time for us ever to, to buy a house. And uh, we, a realtor was taking us around showing us different houses. And um, we went to uh, one house and uh, it was a great house with a, a big backyard, uh, looked awesome, but uh, they have those uh, outside of the Bay Area, uh, backyards. Um, uh, but the inside was a little bit like smelly and moldy. And I, and I said, I can deal with that. And the next house, it was great inside, but, but, but everything kind of in the backyard was just janky, overgrown. It was like this torn up patio. It just looked like this unusable jungle. And I looked at it and I, I told Joy, I can deal with that. And I thought we were communicating well, but I learned that Joy interpreted my words very differently. So we meet with a realtor at the end, and she's like, okay, what do you think of this house? What do you think of this house? And I heard my wife say, well, in house one, Matt says that he can fix the smelly mold problem. <laughs> and I'm like, what? In house two, she said, well, in that house, Matt says he can fix up the backyard and renovate it to look really nice and usable. And I was shocked. I was like, when did I say that? And she said, well, you, you said you're, you're gonna deal with it. And I say, ah, I see where our communication broke down. See, you thought I'll deal with it means I will expend a lot of time and energy and expense to fix the problem so it's no longer a problem. No, 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 no. See, see I'm a stoic. <laughs> see, if I say I can deal with it means I can probably choose to no longer care, right? <laughs> I can deal with the moldy smell. I can just never go into the jungle in the backyard. This, this is how college was, right? <laughs> I was a stoic in college. I was like, well, I can just choose to not care about the toilet being clean. So the less you care, the less chores you have to do, right? <laughs> but here's the dark side of stoicism. They would work their way up to not care about themselves and to not care about other people. I don't care was applied to their families and friends also because you can't be emotionally invincible if you're emotionally invested. So Stoic philosophy leads to not caring about people, right? If their nearest or dearest loved one was to suffer and die, the Stoics were trained to say, I don't care. 
And if we're like that, then we also don't care about their hopes and their desires or their struggles. We just say, well, instead of me engaging to help you in any way, I'll just teach you to no longer care. But that's not the Christian path to happiness. The reason is that God is not a stoic God. Throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is described in the Bible with deep and rich emotions. Right? God gets jealous and angry. God overflows with joy. God cares what happens to people and nations. We serve a God that cares so much about the world that he gave his own son to save that world. And then we're taught in Scripture that we as Christians are to bear one another's burdens and to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And so Stoic philosophy doesn't work for us as Christians because as Christians, we have this central virtue of love as opposed to emotional self-protection. But we're also not the hedonists. We're not chasing the pleasure in stuff and material possessions. The Bible doesn't teach us to be hedonists or Stoics. What does it teach? Well, here at the end of the book, Paul reveals to us his secret. He says this in verse 13. Here's, here's my source, my source of contentment. Here's my source of resilient joy. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, in both of the philosophies, contentment is a human achievement, right? The hedonists say, I've gathered enough pleasures to be content. And the Stoic says, I've purged enough desire and emotion to be content. But the Christian, uh, the Christian solution here is that resilience, joy, contentment, it's a gift from God. The presence of Jesus Christ walks with us, infuses our soul's with resilience to endure all things. Uh, the, uh, Jesus, I think, is the most popular person in this church. And number two is a guy named Steph Curry. Am I right? You know that he has some shoes. This is his favorite scripture. Uh, this is uh, Philippians 4.13, what we're just reading and his very favorite uh, scripture, when he both worked with Nike and later with Under Armour, and they said, hey, we, you know, we wanna like make, design your shoes. He's like, hey, this is my, this is my scripture. It's my life first. I can do all things through Christ who gave me strength. I want that on my shoes. And I'm told, they initially said to him, well, we like the first part. Let's just go with that. And we'll put a dot, dot, dot. He's like, oh, well, okay, but he's got the scripture verse. And, I can do all things, dot, dot, dot. And a lot of athletes love this scripture. And they think of this fantastic achievement. They think, hey, he even hit a, a hole in one in golf uh, the other day, right? It's amazing, right? But, but, but it means something to Steph Curry. It means something to so many of us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and the original meaning in Paul's, uh, thanks, you can take that down. The ri original meaning is not I can achieve greatness. I can, I can, I can make baskets from far away. So I, I can endure all things. I can, I can live through chaos in my life. I can live through hardship. I can, I, can, I can do all this, and I can do it all joyfully because Jesus Christ is walking with me. Jesus Christ is empowering me and, and giving me this. So he says, thank you for the gift. It conveyed love, but don't think I'm happy because of stuff. My commitment or my contentment is a gift 
from Jesus Christ. But you showed love, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And then he goes on with the thank you note in verse 14. He says, and yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This gift that they sent to him for his ministry and for his prison time is a way that they are sharing in his troubles. It's another way the thing that, gift, that giving does is a gift share suffering. Gifts share suffering. You know, this, the, this raise the roof thing that, that we're doing has reminded me that a few years ago, this uh, cyclone hit Kolkata, India, and it damaged, de- really severely damaged the, um, the Mahima home. You've heard um, uh, Finney Thomas come here and, uh, and speak, and we've raised money for that home. Well, well, a few years ago, a cyclone hit that home, and it ripped the, the entire roof. I think we have trouble. Their entire roof blew away uh, for this home for uh, trafficked kids. And uh, they're like, we, we got to get these kids a, a roof over their head. And, and, I, and I remember I brought this to, to the church uh, that I was at in, in, in Florida, and uh, and the church raised money. They, they just, all these people, like, we want to share in the suffering. You know, we, we, we can't get there, but here we can do, we can put a roof over that kids. And they, and they raised $20,000 that just paid for the entire roof to be put back on that home. We, we, we raised money recently for them, and we just, uh, just now sent uh, $11,000 to go and help uh, that ministry continue as they continue to, to, to work and do ministry through hardship. I remember when my, uh, my grandmother uh, died right before I, I started here, uh, a number of you uh, sent cards to me. Just, to, just to, You knew that I was in grief over that and just wrote just little notes, hey, if you're thinking about you, and just that little, little card. It's just a way in which we love each other. We, we, we signal love, and we, and we kind of share each other's suffering, like, hey, I'm kind of grieving with you a little bit here. Uh, just recently, uh, you know, um, Leo my friend who's preached here several times uh, that I know a number of you guys have come to love, his, uh, his wife Priscilla, her mother died. Uh, and, and while she was here, uh, separated, you know, because it's back in Ghana. And uh, she's just deeply in grief and there's distress because they're here and, and they can't be there. And, and uh, so we're like, how, how, can we, how, can we, how can we love them in this? And uh, my wife Joy offered to them, like, hey, you know what? would it be helpful if we just watch your kids for a week uh, to, to take a little bit of burn off you so that you can go back for the funeral and, and, and Leo's still, still doing his studies. And so we, we had the, the, the kids with us for a week. And it's just like, it's a small way. It's like, how can we, okay, we see someone's suffering. How can I, how can I give something, you know, that's going to take some kind of burden off of them and, and, and share in that? And then a woman in our church who, who heard, okay, I heard about this funeral and how you guys are helping with these kids. I hear, okay, you've got like seven kids in your house for a week, which is crazy. Um, she said, hey, you know what? I, I want to share in that. And here's some, here's some Chick-fil-A gift cards to feed them. Why don't you buy them some chicken sandwiches with that and just a way to like, you know, uh, just kind of help with that. And just, this is a way that, that we just show love. I mean, it's totally surprised but blessed by that. Like a way that we see, okay, I see someone suffering. Is there some practical thing that I could do to, 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 to kind of have a little, little share, take a little bit of burden off of that? And so Paul's thanking him. He's like, thank you for your gift. You know, it, it really signaled to me that you care, that you're with me. 
And you know what? You, you, you shared in my suffering. You made some sacrifice to lift a burden off of me. I'm so grateful for that. And then in verse 15, it says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Now, he actually told a number of churches, hey, hey, don't, don't give, because he, he didn't want to be like a burden. He's making his own tents to support himself. But, but this is a, a church that's like, no, we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part. We learn in 2 Corinthians 11 that this Philippian church is the church that funded the planting of the church in Corinth. So we read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Those are letters that are written to a church in Corinth that was planted by Paul, but using resources that were raised in the Philippian church. And in the next verse, verse 16, we read this. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So when the church planning effort was in Thessalonica, we have a book of Thessalonians. That is a book written to a church that this church in Philippi helped to plant by sending money and resources for that effort. They've always been there with Paul for his ministry. They're a missionary sending and supporting church. And so this third piece here is that giving empowers ministry. Giving empowers ministry. It shows love. It shares in suffering, and it empowers ministry. When you give to this church, you empower ministry. You, you help hire uh, staff. You, 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 you pay for the lights to be on and for the buildings to exist. You, you put a roof on top. You, you're empowering ministry to happen. More people can hear the gospel. So gifts, they show love, they, 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 they share suffering, they empower ministry and help more people be reached. That's what the kids did this week when they went into a hard place in the Tenderloin and they gave of their time, they gave resources, they showed love, they shared in suffering, they empowered ministry. And then verse 17, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's saying it's a good thing before God, to be a generous person. In verse 18, I've, I've received full payment. I have more than enough. Don't send any more. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, this functions like a, like a receipt. But then he introduces this new image. It's a beautiful image, verse 18. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received the gift from Epaphroditus you sent. And then, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You know, now we've gotten used to the word offering. You know, we used to pass plates and kind of don't do that since, you know, since the pandemic, but we, we do it different ways with, with online giving. But we're used to the word offering and we just think of the word offering as like, oh yeah, that's where you give your, you know, your kind of tithes and offerings you know, towards the church. But the, the original kind of meaning in this, this image here is in the temple when uh, the people of God would bring uh, a sacrifice and they'd, they'd, they'd have one of their livestock that would be, that would be sacrificed to the Lord and, 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 and then kind of burnt on that offering. And sometimes they'd put on spices or sometimes it'd be like a grain offering. And, and then as it was cooking, there'd be this pleasing aroma that would, that, would, that would come up from it. Much like the pleasing aroma we'll have on this campus at 5 p.m. today, right? <laughs> 
But there's this, there's this they, they, they hope that, they, that we're bringing, I'm bringing the sacrifice you know, out of my livelihood, out of my, out of my, uh, my, my flock, out of my grain, and, I, and, I, and I'm roasting it before the Lord. I hope that, it's a, that, it, that it pleases to him. Well, Paul is taking that as a, as a metaphor for their giving to somebody in need. Hey, this time it was me. Other times it's, you've been supporting other churches, but when you, you're supporting ministry, when you're supporting people in need, that's like a fragrant aroma going up to God. He loves the smell of that. One of the things that was such a struggle for me just in my brief time in the Tenderloin was the smell. I mean, there was human excrement on the ground every day, that I, every, every place that I was. They were always kind of washing it off. It was, a, it was a hard place. It was a smelly place. But I think when our youth were there loving and blessing and serving, I think that smelled really good to God. It looked, it smelled beautiful to the community. Like this, these acts of love and service, they, they smell nice. It's a fragrant offering. So this final point is that giving honors God. When we make a sacrifice that loves and blesses people in need, that, that loves and blesses people doing, doing ministry, that, that empowers the work of God, it, it honors God. And Paul's expressing that he's delighted to see Christian maturity and worship displayed in people through their generosity, right? It's not, not just words. When you, when you cross that line, it's no longer, I'm, I'm not just kind of singing with my lips and living differently with my life. I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm mobilizing what I have available, my resources, I'm mobilizing my time, my skills, my energy, whatever I can, I'm gonna mobilize that to, to match the words that I have been saying. And he's saying it's, it's a beautiful thing when that happens. And so uh, we see this together, uh, it shows love, Shares suffering, empowers ministry, and it honors God. And then it comes with this promise in verse 19 at the end of that. He said, and my God will meet all your needs. Right? You've met my needs. Let me tell you, my God is going to meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I have seen... Uh, this verse misused by prosperity gospel uh, preachers are like, hey, you know, the kind of health, wealth, prosperity, you send me money to this, you know, text me money to this line and then God's gonna bless you. That's not what this is about. This is a personal testimony from someone who knows that God can be trusted. You know, Paul, Paul didn't live his life as a, as a hoarder. He didn't live his life in emotional self-protection. He lived his life, you know, uh, blessing other people, uh, giving, preaching, doing the work of God, and he found God to be trustworthy. God has met all of his needs. And he's saying, you can trust God too. He's someone who has lived his life and he's coming to the end of it now. And he's saying, I've never regretted something that I sacrificed for God. Something that I gave, I never regretted something I gave to a brother or sister in need. Some, some risk I took for the Lord. And every brave step I took, I found God showed up and saw me through. I, I can tell you about a God who's always had my back. And I gotta tell you, for, for me in my own life, I can say that's true as well. I hope you can. If anyone here can say God is faithful, would you say amen? amen. If God has been there for you, say amen. amen. He can be trusted. He will meet all of your needs. And some of you that are lonely or sick or worried about finances, just receive this testimony. God will be there with you. You will not crumble. God will provide. And he will see you joyful on the other side. Would you pray with me?
Lord God, we thank you that we're not hedonists and we're not stoics, but we are Christians. And we love and we bless you. We thank you for all the ways that you have provided. We thank you, Lord, that you are enough. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all the ways in which we get to participate. Thank you that you're abundantly generous with us. Make us resiliently joyful people as we walk with you. We thank you, God. We bless you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. It's great to be with you. Uh, if any of you would like prayer for any reason, we've got a, a team that will be here and they'll hold up the sign and uh, you can just come over here and we'd love to pray for you. Um, eat a small lunch. Come back hungry for dinner at five. Uh, the carne asada is gonna be, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. And if, and if you don't like it, there's, there's beans also. So. Uh, it's great to, great to be with you guys. Uh, hear now this blessing, this benediction. And now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. May the true God, the only source of contentment, be with you and walk with you and give you resilient joy that you can do all things through Christ Jesus who walks with you and gives you strength. God is faithful. Amen.